Welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the Emmys, Oscars, SAG, and Tony's races. Who is in the running? What makes an award-worthy performance? And what are the secrets to giving one? These intimate, inspirational conversations with some of today's most talented stars provide you, dear listener, the kind of craft and career advice that could win you a statue of your own, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. But it was like interesting getting told no so much because yeah. I mean it was like it was just a good experience like there was I, I got really like used to and comfortable with rejection yeah. and like being told no and like being like I don't get it How does banter work? Welcome! Hi. Allie. So happy to be here. White. Yes. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? This is Allie White, folks. I'm Allie. I'm the digital managing editor of Backstage and a huge Queer Eye fan. Aha! Which is relevant to today's uh, In the Envelope listeners. You may have just heard the dulcet tones of Jonathan Van Ness's voice as we preview this episode. But also, Allie's here in the studio with me just having said goodbye to him. He was just here. He was just here. I was a little starstruck. Yeah. I thought you played it very cool considering how starstruck you were beforehand. That's why I kept my jacket on because I was nervous <laughs> about like a sweat stain situation. I'm he doesn't like, care. No, no, he doesn't care. He sees our inner beauty. He does. He really does. For those who may not know anything about him, like what do, what do we need to know about his philosophy or his basic? Why do you love him? Uh, he just like, I feel genuinely cares for everyone mm. he interacts with yeah. on Queer Eye. Yeah. And is unapologetically himself. Yeah. And I feel like a proud parent, even though I met him for literally <laughs> five seconds. I've been a fan of Queer Eye since like the Carson Kressley days. Of course. In the early yeah. 2000s. Early 2000s. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Queer Eye mm-hmm. for the Straight Guy, which is a problematic show name. And they. Sure, but it was, yeah, I mean, it had to be what it had to be. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. The times um, have changed. And then when Netflix sort of revived it, mm-hmm. I was super psyched but had fairly low expectations. Wait, and you had seen Gay of Thrones before that? Yes, I'm sorry. I also was a huge Gay of Thrones fan, and I don't remember how I came to discover Gay of Thrones. Not through me and through um, Backstage? No, I've I've been watching Gay of Thrones since season one on Funny or Die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just thought he was great, and the concept of that show is so funny. And, like, obviously it's scripted, but he seems so natural in the way he's doing it and the whole setup and the salon chair. Yeah. And then when they announced the casting for Queer Eye, I was like, I know him. Me too. Right. I was kind of like, oh, everyone's going to know him from Queer Eye, but I know him from Gave. Yes. Like, I was OG. Totally. JVN. Totally. totally. Um, And I feel like on Queer Eye... And also in his social media presence, he has really, mm. like, mm. grown into himself. Yeah. It's whirlwind of the last three years for him. Yeah. It's yeah. been, a like, a skyrocket to fame. Yeah. He seems to have embraced – he seems, like, tailor-made for fame, honestly. I was say, yeah. Well, his work ethic is in- is super impressive. Yeah. So I we were saying earlier, he's so freaking busy. I'm so grateful he had time to come 
here on his day off. But you yeah. talked about the podcast. I listened to a lot of the episodes. His podcast, Getting Curious. Getting Curious yeah. with JVN. Um, yeah. The fact that he like self-produced it and was emailing totally. specialists. Yeah, to- he had to email. He had to book all his own guests. Yeah. We talked about how at one point it uh, faltered in the, the timing with that and Queer Eye was really interesting. Yeah. He's had a really interesting path. I mean, on this podcast, we talked to people who've had that that skyrocket to fame. But I think what I liked about this interview was hearing about you've had your big break. Game of Thrones was a pretty big, mm-hmm. you know, pretty big break. And he then wanted, partly because of his work ethic, to have a bigger break. And I feel like there was excellent advice about how to do that. Yes. And I also love that he did not set out to do this. Yeah. He really (laughs) sort of fell into it and has embraced it and run with it in a way that seems kind of crazy. Looking back, yeah, yeah. He fully is a fully trained hairdresser. He co-owns a salon in L.A. Totally. That's the thing that I would say the main thing to know about JVN, Jonathan Van Ness, is that he's a hairdresser. And I love that even his advice was sort of told in the in the form of metaphors Metaphor, related to yeah. hair. <laughs> yeah, and his version of, like, uh, memorizing lines was memorizing, like, mm. color formulas for highlights. And uh, the comedy stuff, too, was interesting for anyone who's trying to be an aspiring stand-up or otherwise. Like, yes. comedy is sort of an interesting... We're going through an interesting period with comedy right now, but it's also something that can apply to a lot of different things. Yeah, I I think this interview has has something for people who have already achieved success and for those who haven't achieved that level of what they they want. And for, like, anyone in rural, I think he's from, like, Illinois. Rural Illinois and then Arkansas, yeah. Just, like— We didn't talk about how he dropped out of school and then he went to go study hair. Then he he really moved to LA with not a lot of not a lot of plans, just a big old dream. I know his whole life story. <laughs> well, we're gonna have a brief break and then a bio, and then we're gonna get to this interview with JVN. Allie, thank you for being my guest co-banterer for the first time. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was the highlight of my year, and I had a baby this year, so that's <laughs> yes. saying a lot. Yay! Oh, that's so sad about the baby. I mean, <laughs> this she she is the highlight of my year. He is a close second. We'll play this for her. It's at a later date when she can. <laughs> Sorry, Liv. I love you. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Barry on HBO. This dark comedy stars Bill Hader, who created and executive produced the series along with Alec Berg. Barry focuses on a depressed, low-rent hitman from the Midwest who falls in love with acting while on a job in L.A. Critics have hailed the comedy's second season as fascinating and hilarious, remarkable, and audaciously original. 17 Emmy nominations, including Outstanding Comedy Series. Visit hbo.com FYC for more on Barry. Growing up in rural Illinois with dreams of launching an empire as a hairdresser, Jonathan Van Ness has achieved that goal and then some. He left the Midwest for Los Angeles and broke into the online comedy world with the Funny or Die web series Gay of Thrones, a recap of Game of Thrones, now nominated for an Emmy Award. In addition to producing his interview podcast, Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness, he's dabbled in writing, stand-up comedy, ice skating and gymnastics, all while experiencing the whirlwind rise to reality TV fame as the grooming expert on Queer Eye. Without further ado, the fabulous Jonathan Van Ness.
I mean, I need oral surgery. I need to get my wisdom tooth out. We Are you serious? Do we don't need to do headphones. Oh my god! But I, I have love a lisp. headphones when I record. I have a lisp. You do? Yeah, it's not usually the thing. So did your wisdom tooth just come out? It's ready to come out. It's ready. She's but, like, making but, her stage but she debut. Wasn't, but she wasn't poking out for years? For years. And my, yeah, this is the kind of thing where your dentist is like, oh, you should get it looked at eventually. And now suddenly my gum is like inflamed. This is such a lovely way to start an interview. No, it's fine. No, and please, I, sort no, of I really, I love it. And I want to know more about it. <laughs> my S's, like I can't quite wrap my When did this start? Fight, like a week ago. So you woke up a week ago and you were like, oh, my bottom. I can't chew. My yeah. bottom left corner. Bottom, yes. Your le- bottom Wait, left. Wait, why did you just know that? I don't know, it was just, well, because it could only be left or right. There's only so many chances. But you, oh wow, that was crazy. So your bottom left corner, and you woke up it's last swollen. week, yeah. and your gums were swollen. Just the gum right around it. Was there like a little ready. mountain poking out? Yeah, and it's a mountain. At one point last weekend, it was it was over the other tooth, so I really couldn't chew. I've been just drinking juice for like a week. That's crazy. <laughs> I know, and I had to go to California, so I couldn't get the surgery. I'm a mess. So like in I'm nature, like in like before dental surgery, like we just used to be like 28 right. and get like at wisdom teeth, and that meant that we were getting understand. older or something. Yeah, the wisdom teeth were like the backup. You had kids' teeth and then adult teeth, and then if you needed more, they came in. Ugh. And I sound. I actually you sound like great. my lisp. You sound great. <laughs> you sound um, great, Jonathan Van Ness. Thank you so much for joining us on In the Envelope, an awards podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I know you're so busy, so thank you. Of course. My pleasure. You're Emmy nominated for, um, we're going to get coffee. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, the timing of it all, your teeth, my coffee. (laughs) It's been quite the summer. It has. Honestly, (laughs) you're not kidding. You're not kidding. Yeah. You dropped an entire season of television. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, two if you count Gay of Thrones, which Mm -hmm. also aired. I guess in the springtime. Yeah. I'd really like to hear about Gay of Thrones uh, specifically on this podcast because we are backstage. As you may know, we are all about the uh, early career aspiring actor, entertainer, like performer type. And we're all about making our own work. And yeah. that's what you did, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, really the story of Gay of Thrones would have never been if it weren't for Aaron Gibson, who is the mm. director of Gay of Thrones and she's the creator of the show. And... Um, she is someone who has been a really dear friend of mine for um, for a while and for almost, we're, I think we're, we're bordering a decade. We're like approaching mm-hmm. a decade of knowing each other. And um, yeah, it, it all started when I was, I was doing her hair one day and she was like, <laughs> let's, have you heard of this show Game of Thrones? And I was like, well, actually, what really happened is the girl who was next to me in the salon, Monique, who we love so much, mm-hmm. uh, was like talking to her client about Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this show? I've heard of it. That baby boy, honey, and his sash, he's got such a bad attitude. Oh. And he wants, <laughs> he's a little, it. yes, he's a little, um, he's just a little rascal and he wants to kill everybody. And then I, and I went on a little fugue state uh, mm. recap and Aaron was like, well, you know, we have to do this. For funny or die. Oh my gosh. And that was kind of what started. But um, yeah, at the beginning, it was, I think there was like five of us or four, like four, including uh, like me and oh Ross, who was our, the who was a producer who also doubled as our first guest. Yeah. It was a very, you know, we had a small like crew and it was wow. amazing. And um, it was 
Funny or Die gave us an opportunity, and it was really supposed to be like one episode. And then I think the first episode was uh, people just responded to it, and then we were able to get Alfie Allen on our second episode. Right. And that I think after that it was like, okay, we have something here. Let's keep doing this. And it was really it became this hmm. thing that I looked forward to like so much every year because I was a hairdresser. I am a hairdresser, right? And that's yeah, what you I still are. that was. Yeah, that's was my intent was to be like a hairdresser who didn't need to ever borrow money from their parents. Right, 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 right. Uh, um, you weren't expecting to have like networking opportunities with people in the chair. No, <laughs> and and it's it's just been so fun to discover this other um, side of me or this other side of myself in my twenties that was like I, I always knew that I was opinionated and I always knew that I had something mm. to say. Um, but with Game of Thrones, we had such this unique opportunity to say so much and and learn so much, at yeah. least for me specifically. I mean, I think Aaron had such a developed, um, strong sense of self coming into Game of Thrones. And for me, it was like, this was like my first rodeo, literally. So I, I right. really learned um, so much about about making content, about producing content. Sure. Um, it was fun. It, I'm yeah. sad that it that it's over. I know. You have to be tied to that show. I mean, I suppose it could come back for another show or something. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and those people, I mean, I the our core people that have been on Game of Thrones for, like, the whole time are um, Joan Ford and Matt Mazzani um, and Ross Baran are... And Mark Rennie has been with us since season three of Game of Thrones. Mm. Um mm. I would go anywhere with them. Like I love them so much, and uh, oh, so I, you never know. Yeah, it's like it's so yeah. much fun to to work with them. So I, I think it's not forever, but or it's like not like forever that we won't to, won't work together. But right. Game of Thrones is such a specific show to make something like Game of Thrones work because it like yeah. there's so much storylines to cover. True. For those who don't know about the production, uh, like how production on Game of Thrones worked, mm-hmm. you guys really turned an episode around in a day because it had to come out on Monday the, the, the day after mm-hmm. Game of yeah. Thrones. Game of Thrones was late Sunday night. Yes. Th- that was how we did it except for this last season we ended up. Oh. We, this last season, we... Did you get advanced screeners? We didn't get advanced oh. screeners. This time, we decided to shoot on Monday morning. Mm. So previously, Absolutely. we would always... Previously, we would watch, write, produce, and shoot the whole thing on Sunday night. Wow. This time, we said, let's watch it together. Let's write it together. Let's get our script together on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. Then let's come together Monday morning. And we usually would have an edit by, like, four in the afternoon on Monday. And we would have it up, like, on Monday, like, midnight. So, like, Tuesday. and And we did that because... We wanted to, it was like, we knew it was like our last time. And also the episodes were longer. Um, we oh, knew that on the yeah. back half, the episodes were going to be longer. And we wanted to make sure that like, we just left everything on the dance floor possible. And yeah. also scheduling wise, we wanted to be able to get, like, we wanted to leave everything on the dance floor. And so yeah. we, shooting on Monday morning is uh, more <laughs> enticing for people than, hey, do you want to come spend your whole Sunday with us sure. for six hours yeah. uh, on your Sunday night? <laughs> Yeah. See vous play. Uh, what's you know, it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> you have to watch two hours of TV and then you have to sit for hours writing and jo- yes. and making jokes and yes. And this season you had huge guest stars. We huge. did, and they're not there Sunday night. They they come in on Monday morning. Correct. Ready to go. Previously, we always had people there on right. the people. I mean, it wasn't a requirement, but people usually would end up coming. Um, right. And. Yeah, th- and that definitely opened up this year to being able to pull in the amount of star power that <laughs> yeah. we had, which was just like 
I think it was our strongest season ever. Yeah. Like, at what point in this whole process, I guess when you booked Alfie Allen, that was when it clicked. But, like, did you ever think Emmy nomination? Did you ever think... Oh, my God, no. Well, the, when we got nominated the first time, I thought that, like... Because I didn't really understand how Twitter worked. And I... Oh. Like, I was at the gym and I... In 2016, and my phone, like, the Twitter notification started freaking out. <laughs> yes. And I thought that it was, like, a collective concerted effort to try to... And, like, I had, like... I was, like, I had, like, 4,000 followers on Twitter. I was, like, not sure. killing it on Twitter, honey. Sure. But I was just, like, this has to be, like, a few of my friends. Like, wow. some of my Silver Lake queens that are, like, just doing this to be, like, let's see if we can get him to tweet, like, congrats. Like, thank you so much. I'm uh, so honored. Okay. Um, you are sure. And then my mom called, and I was, like, is this a literal category? Right. Like, who even Short knew? Form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the first time that, that they had that category that we got nominated the first go around. And it yeah. was, like... Just incredible to, yeah, the the whole experience has been so incredible. And, and obviously not, we didn't do it with the intention of like trying to get an Emmy no, nomination. No, But it has been such an interesting like snapshot, especially now like having had the opportunity to do Queer Eye and having had the opportunity to do stand up as much as I've had the, the yes. opportunities to do it. It's like. I just think that this moment of Gay of Thrones, and it's not because of Gay of Thrones, I just think culturally there's been such a shift around around comedy and around conversations that we have mm. around comedy and, and around diversity and inclusion and privilege and um, really being able to speak truth to power and, and how that relates to comedy specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and Absolutely. I think that has changed so much. And it's been such an honor to get to be brought into the fold at this point in my life and to be able to take something like Game of Thrones and use it to, like, inform people about perspectives that they Absolutely. have not had has been, like, really cool. And it's also informed me on, like, how I want to carry myself in, like, the rest of my career. Um, hmm. So I, I just think Game yeah. of Thrones has really shaped me so much more than, like, a than I ever thought a TV show of could course. shape me. But it wasn't yeah. necessarily because of the show itself. But, honey, isn't life just... Crazy. That's the thing. You don't know your path until it's behind you and you can see the outlines of it. It's going to crisscross every which way. Yeah. And that begs the question, like, before this, before Game of Thrones happened, like, comedy wasn't necessarily, was it a, one of your backgrounds? Like, you didn't consider yourself an actor. No. But I consider you to be an actor on that show, kind of, because it's very, yeah. it's very performative. Well, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like me on all the way ten. Like it's, yeah, it's like the yeah. most elevated possible version of myself. Yeah. Um, I think that I was a comedian in the way that Mrs. Maisel was a comedian before she started doing stand up. <laughs> okay. Wow. Like I just was doing my stand up sets like behind the chair. Yeah. And I was performing like while I was doing corrective colors and <laughs> yes. like you know I'm like I'm like how do I turn this client being forty five minutes late. Uh-huh. Literally showing me a picture of Daenerys Targaryen, uh-huh. being like, "I have, I need to be out of here in an hour and a half, and it's only going to be eighty five dollars, right?" Like, uh. while I have two other clients, and you just need to be like, <laughs> <laughs> "It's almost a coping mechanism." Yeah, yeah like yeah, it's yeah. like I have been really, you know, making a lot of crazy situations hilarious gotcha. for a long time. So, right. I think I was, I think I had a natural inclination towards hamminess or being funny mm. or wanting to entertain people. Um, hmm. Yeah, but I didn't know that I would do it on camera necessarily. Right. It's just proof that you don't need to go to acting school necessarily to or any kind of performing arts school. Like, you can find other skills that require that and totally. bring it to, like, random opportunities. But then just, like, Mrs. Maisel's 
um, manager says, yes. you know, she's like, no, queen, you need to get up and like, you know, doing stand up at these parties doesn't count. You need to go do it. Right. Totally. So I have also had to like, you know, and now go. That's you. And I've got, I've, yeah, I like definitely have like cut my teeth in a making content way and a comedy way and a sure. stand up way and a YouTube way and all sorts of ways. Yeah. So I think it's like. Everything is such a learning process. You're just getting started, too. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Fingers crossed. Ah. Um, take me back to the very beginning, because if acting was never... I mean, what was the... I know cheerleading is an yes. early passion. Cheer... Um, gymnastics was like, really was. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and carpet figure skating, because I couldn't right? real figure skate. Uh-huh. I also was just, like, obsessed with obsessions, my whole life. Um, oh, interesting. Like, if it was, like, stamps, coins, rocks, cheerleading, figure skating, like, oh. whatever it was, um, I wanted to know, like, every, the Romanoffs. Like, I wanted to know, like, <laughs> everything that I could about it. Huh. Like, my aunt made the mistake of taking me to see, like, the animated classic Anastasia. And, like, yeah. I literally, like, how some kids would freak out about, like, wanting, like, a Tamagotchi in this era. Right. I was like, if you don't take me to the public library so that I can go watch videos about the Romanoffs, like, old documentaries, like, (laughs) if there's a chance that Anastasia lived, like, I need to know. You need to know. If Um, it's you, it could be you. I had to know. I also had, like, a, like, I had, like, a, um neighborhood, like, newsletter that I did, like, once a week. That you published? Yeah, I was really into it. Uh, I was really, really, really into it. Um, I think it had like three wow. issues. Yes. I was my 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 top story that I was really keeping my eye on was these like little swans that had been birthed <laughs> in like a lake. I was really moved by them. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah. So I think that's kind of well, like, you cut oh, your oh, and there, tennis too. and tennis. I was also really obsessed with tennis. Okay. Not so much playing it. Um, I couldn't run, and I was obsessed with powder donuts, um, <laughs> pop tarts. <laughs> Um, also like this one restaurant called like Tower Pizza in my hometown Mm. that like I could literally like if I never ate anything else again, I'd be fine. Um, but yeah, like watching tennis, like Martina Hingis, Venus Williams, Serena Williams. Like I was, oh my gosh. Obsessed with obsessions. Yes. Like passionate about passions. Yes. That's the way to become like the right kind of nerdy. Like it sounds like you were nerdy. I guess about, about the things that I thought were cool. Yeah. Oh, and beauty pageants. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, in the Olympics. Which is relevant in the Olympics, of yes. course, of course. And at what point was it hair? <laughs> well, I remember I was three, and uh, I loved permed hair. I loved big texture. It mm. was, you know, in, in 1990 when I was three, it was very... Huge. Yes. Yeah. Texture. It was Julia Roberts, like, pretty woman. Like, I... Yeah. Love. She didn't have a perm, of course. Obviously, she has that. Nat- it seems like that's her natural texture, or maybe that is a perm. I don't know, to be mm, honest. Yeah, I feel like she's got reddish. wavy hair. Is she a redhead? Yeah, she is. Okay, it seems like she's a redhead. Like, she's one of those like elusive. But she's gone like blonde sometimes. Would you do Julie Roberts' hair? I would like do anything to do Julie Roberts' hair. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to deal with like cutting it or doing her color because like oh. I feel like. But I would totally blow it dry. You just style it, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like I wouldn't want her to be like, oh my gosh, this fringe is too short. And then I'd be like, ew, you're a nightmare. Like I don't, really, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't, like I, yeah. Like let's just like do something impermanent and nightmare. like just like do like a gorgeous beachy wave and or, talk like, about yeah. Yes, like I just want to. Honestly, like I would just, I would probably like interv, like uh, somewhere between like interview and interrogate yeah. about yeah. um Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Moulin Rouge is another obsession for me. Of course. Oh, same. Yeah. Same. Way before I realized I was, way before I realized I was a gay person, which sort of brings me to this other question of like, 
it's is it true that you were always out? And like, why? Like, what were the? Um, did you have role models? Like, what were the? I did. I did have a few. I think I stopped saying when people asked me if I was gay, I started saying yes in like sixth grade or fifth grade, Mm -hmm. I feel. But prior to that, I was like wearing like purple tights with like the tallest Doc Martens I could with like an off the shoulder (laughs) Barney purple sweatshirt Uh that was like an extra, extra large. Yes. To match the tights with my like brown leather Doc Martin like knee highs. I was really committed to basically how I dress now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. yeah, or pajamas because I was so depressed. Um, oh. Or this like 1996 uh, women's gymnastics team warm up suit that they had in the girls section of Target. It was like the same warm up suit that like the Magnificent oh. Seven wore, and they sold it at Target. And I got three of them, honey, because I wore them. I wore holes in them. I was like, my mom was like, please change. I was like, no, bitch. I'm. <laughs> this is my outfit. This is who I am. And it then you know what amazing. I was for Halloween that year? I what? wore that same outfit. I wore my same warm up suit. But then they were selling these like. Um, political masks they had like ross perot bob dole and bill clinton and so i got a ross perot mask and i was ross perot (laughs) in a women's gymnastics warm-up um so i was ross perot for for uh halloween that year we're getting such little snapshots that like compiled they become like who you are yeah it's like yeah yeah so purple all of it uh uh-huh yeah but so i was basically always out and very much uh myself i could not help it could not help it. Yeah. Was it inspired by pop culture? Like you, you were obsessed with Oh yeah, with role these models. Things. I'm so sorry. Yes. No, 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 yeah. Rupert Everett and my best friend's oh, wedding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I used to like throw pillows on the ground and hum them. I would freak <laughs> out for him in that movie. I could not handle it. Especially when at the end when he like showed up and she's like, I didn't tell you I was wearing a purple dress. And he's like I creep across the floor like a minx jungle cat. I was like, oh my God, Jeremy Timber is like Rufus Wayne, like not Rufus Wainwright, but also <laughs> speaking of Rufus Wainwright, by the time I got to be like 10, 14, like 10 to 14, I feel like I discovered him. Rufus, yeah. maybe more like 13, 14, because it was really Moulin Rouge that where oh, I right. discovered him. Yeah. So probably like, that, was eight, that was eighth grade. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Rudy Galindo. 1996 U.S. national oh. figure skating champion and also 1996 uh-huh. world bronze medalist in figure skating. Okay. He was once the Paris partner of Christy Yamaguchi. Gotcha. Um, and then they went their separate ways to like pursue their individual careers, but he was out um, in 1996. Oh, he was. And okay. was also HIV positive and out about his mm. status in the wow. mid-90s, winning national championships and getting the bronze and worlds wow like I which didn't know any of that. he's so under celebrated yeah. and like people don't even know but like yes like That's i did have role models that i thought were yeah. incredible and and also um like in high school it was like honestly the fab five like it was like queer eye like I was gonna, yeah that was huge for me like my grandparents were obsessed with that show and seeing Like, Hmm. five men be on TV and loud and queer and, you know, wearing a gorgeous false lash and a Uh loud paisley print shirt. Yeah. Like, my grandparents loved it. And I was able to, like, watch something with them and, like, celebrate something that prior to was, like, not celebratable. Yeah. Um, So I think that, like, those were all big role models for me. Uh, And also, like... Margaret Cho and like Ellen DeGeneres yeah. in the nineties were world. really major yeah. for me because I like I 
like would stay up late and watch her specials on Comedy Central, like when they did that. Yeah. In the day, which I loved. And now you're like friends with them. Yeah, it's not well, Margaret. Yeah, I'm with really Margaret. close friends with her, and yeah. I just, yeah, that the that surrealness is always. I mean, even just like this morning, like I was like. My day started with like gymnastics for an hour and then uh-huh. I went to figure How's skating your, um, for an hour. Ankle. It's totally good. It's, it's healed up. But like, I, there are so many parts of myself that I had said goodbye to, like in a peaceful way. Like, I was really happy doing hair full time. And sure. like, oh, like, but there's just, like, life is just so, um, cool. Like, my inner child is like, I can't believe how lucky I am. It's the inner child. We yeah. talk about that on this podcast a lot. Because yeah. that's, like, what was the, I want to ask, like, what was the dream? And what did you just say? You're saying goodbye to different parts of yourself? Yeah, you I mean, I, I think when I started, when I became a, you know, small business owner and, and like, needed to support myself and mm-hmm. was in my early 20s and, you know, I had, I went through a lot in my 20s. I had a lot of, um, a lot of really intense struggles and, and like, in some ways I, I had support if, if it really went down, but also in a lot of ways not. Mm. And so when I like started doing hair full time and like, you know, raising my cats, it was like, and I say that like jokingly, but also seriously, like yeah. I couldn't like afford to go learn to figure skate and like break my wrist. Right. Like right, living right, right, right. in Los Angeles, no. um, you know, like if, if something had, ha- if I was going to break something or really become injured, like that was a potential to like move back to this place where I had worked my whole life to escape. Right. So being like, you know, um, risky, like, with my body, like, mm-hmm. in a physical way, like, that w- felt like something I just, like, couldn't afford to do anymore. Like, right. I couldn't. So, like, once a year, it would be, like, I would be drunk, like, in a parking lot and would be, like, can I still do a back handspring? Oh. Like, do I still know, Ugh. like, my the, my school fight song? And I so I feel like once a year I would do stand-up and cheer and, like, a back handspring. Right. It's um, still there. Like, yeah, but, like. I want to do it. But... Yeah, but, like, I couldn't, like, really. I wasn't going to go to gymnastics class once a week. It was, like, let's get into yoga. Like, and I love yoga. Yeah. And I still do. But, like. As far as, like, hmm. I didn't think in my 30s I would be, like, doing full twisting layouts and getting to, like, learn how to figure skate. Yeah. Like, Revisiting. I always wanted to learn how to figure skate. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. didn't get to do it until, like, Queer Eye from, like, a like a random fun segment. So it's just, yeah. life has such an interesting way of, like, working. Yeah. And you get to revisit these pass- passions that are... Yeah. Dormant, I yeah. guess. <laughs> well, I don't know how dormant they were. I've have no, not missed it's... an Olympics or a world championships in figure skating or right. gymnastics in my life. No, <laughs> but I think that it's almost um, <clears throat> advice about being practical, about being realistic, about like you were on thin ice, as it were, about like you don't want to get an injury. You have to put certain things in the back burner. You can't. You also there's only 24 hours in a day. Yeah, and you got to survive. And I was like building a business and yeah. like by myself and you got to make a living. Yeah, and... working for myself. And that's yeah. in your early 20s, like being a self starter and maintaining clients. And I mean, I was for many years like my own front desk. I was like I mm. like had my own little studio. So it was like it took me a long time to get to a point where I had like an assistant or had like it was hard work for yeah. a long time. So is it safe to say the dream has always shifted and shifted and shifted. Yeah. I mean, when I was little, I wanted to be a hairdresser who would, like, open. Okay. I thought I would have, like, a like um, a group of salons that in my mind was going to be kind of like a log cabin from the outside, but really on the inside. Oh. She was, she was like, an A-frame long cabin in my imagination, but, like, wow. chic on the inside. And there was, like, a juice bar that had, like, really fierce, like, scones and flatbreads. And, like, healthy, like, foods. And, like, a uh. yoga studio and also a salon that had, like, a little, like, it was, like, a little, like, wellness place. In my imagination, uh, 
Um, Why isn't this a thing? You could. This is amazing. I know I could, but I, I could, but I. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe that'll be like on my 40-year plan. Exactly. Can we edit that part out in case someone steals my idea? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. I need to get like a non-nightmare um, guy who owns Equinox. I need to get like a conscionable. last week was insane. I know. I can't go to Equinox anymore. Same. Same. Like, I honestly just want to go to Equinox and be like, which one of y'all is all up in here still? Girl, Please. bye. Bye. Going to... Like some local gin that I'm not going to say on this podcast in case some crazy person like goes to like, (laughs) you know. (sighs) Yeah. God. uh, But it also really made me think about where my money goes and like apparently that same guy Actually, there's no crazy people that listen to this podcast. It's all like Emmy voters. Y'all, I'm about to go to Chelsea Pierce to their gym because I hear it's real nice. (laughs) Oh, that's true. And I hear it's real affordable. So yeah. And Julie Roberts, who's Julie Roberts is listening to what? the podcast. She's listening for sure. Oh, I thought you meant she goes to Chelsea Pierce. Oh, no. I she lived in LA. She's <laughs> no, like in New York. Sometimes who knows I'm about to like <laughs> never leave the gym at Chelsea no, Pierce. No. This episode is brought to you by Sharp Objects on HBO. Sharp Objects is based on the best-selling novel by Gillian Flynn. The story focuses on Camille Preaker, a journalist with a history of psychiatric issues who returns to her rural hometown to cover the apparent murders of two preteen girls. The limited series was hailed by critics as exquisite, hauntingly compelling, and a true masterpiece. Eight Emmy nominations, including outstanding limited series. Visit hbo.com slash FYC for more on Sharp Objects. What were we talking about before this? Dreams. Oh, dreams. Something about dreams. Yeah, my A-frame wellness center (laughs) franchise. Yeah, which sounds amazing. And that was what age that you had that vision? Like eight, is it to, early? Like eight wow. to like twelve ish. So I gotta say, you there. Like yes, the dream changes and it grows and it shrinks when it has to. But like you're pretty close. Like you are building an empire. It's related to hair. Like it's in some ways it's bigger. Yeah. No one could have foreseen queer eye, but <laughs> even moments before it happened, which I want to talk about. But like, it sounds like eight year old Jonathan knew. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, but he's, I'll tell you what he is, like, very happy. Uh-huh. With, good. you know, all things considered. Your inner child is very happy. Good. And last time I talked to you, I did, I asked about, like, the auditions for Queer Eye, which I know you've talked about before, which is crazy. And we're all about auditions here on this podcast, but I, I want to ask about the moment right before, like, where you were in your life. What was the mentality of, like, how did you first find out about Queer Eye and why did you decide to pursue it? Sure. Um... So it was the um, winter of 2016, and I was, mm-hmm. um, I had discovered New York the year before. I'd been in LA for like eight years. Okay. And I started coming back and forth to New York and first came with a boy who I was dating and then just like didn't fall in love with him, but I fell in love with New York City. Okay, huh. And so I was like, I need to be here. Like, this hustle, this bustle. Like, people have stacked fucking fringes here. Like, they have, like, interesting <laughs> haircuts. Like, it's all... It's, like, it's a different vibe. It's a different pace. And cool. I just loved it. And, yeah. like, I always thought that New York City being from, like, a rural small town, I was like, oh, I'm going to be really overwhelmed there. But I got here the first time and was like, oh, my gosh, I never want to leave. Amazing. So, again, being a small business owner in L.A., I was like, how do I make that happen? So, I started coming back and forth. And I started... Mm-hmm. I found a place where I could take clients. And I... Found a, um, the guy who I had been dating, like, had a connection where he was able to, like, kind of hook me up with, like, a free place to stay if I just came for, like, five, six days at a time. Or Uh I could just, like, work with them because they had, like, an extra bedroom. Great. 
So I started coming and doing clients. And my goal was to just be like very bi-coastal. And eventually I wanted to move to New York. Amazing. Um, and I had, you know, Gay of Thrones happening like in the summertime. Yeah. Um, so I I finished Gay of Thrones um, that year in 16. And then just started going back and forth to uh, New York as much as I could. Well, my first time in New York was that December of 16. So... Or was it? No, I lied. Oh. It was December 15. It was December 15 when I started coming to oh, New York. Okay, okay, okay. So I was coming back and forth to New York for like a year. Um, and then I was here in December of 16, which so that part was right. But I've been coming back and forth for like a year, wanting to be bi-coastal for like a year. Um, and, you know, every year, like when I would do Gay of Thrones, like I loved it so much, but it's like I wanted to do more. I had started my podcast like after Gay of Thrones because right. I was like, what's something I can do every week that will be something that I can like continue to learn about production in general, but also just about the world. I'm like an intrinsically curious person. And um, so I was like, I I wanted like a project that I could do and I didn't need to ask anyone's permission or like availability. I just wanted to have something that could be my own. Yeah. Um, And so I started getting curious with that and and had so much fun learning about podcasting in that world and getting Mm -hmm. it going. Um, But I wanted, you know, I wanted to do more and I didn't know like what, like what the vehicle was or like what the project was. And um, I had pitched several things with several people over the first three years of Gay of Thrones. Um, oh, that was just okay. not happening. And it was so many no's. Can I ask what kind of project? Yeah, um, Aaron and I had done like, Aaron mm. and I made like a kind of like a news recappy sort of show. Uh-huh. Um, and then I did like a different, like a different makeover show with like Margaret Cho and her makeup artist. Oh, amazing. Um, and we did like a pilot for that for like nine months and like shopped it all over, like all around LA. And Nine months. Yeah. And, and I also in those three years, like from 13 to 16 of Gay of Thrones, like would go on like whatever like smaller like there would be like random hosting auditions or you know like a panel fashion show yeah. or lots of like you know gay best friend sure. sort of air quote like have three lines of like like comedy scripted things that that I would get called in huh. for auditions but I would go on these auditions and literally anything <laughs> I ever did for a scripted audition which I think there was like four in those three years of like yeah. a scripted thing where I basically would go and then I would realize like I'm like oh they just wanted me to come in here on camera and go like where are my dragons like with some cast like uh-huh. I never was going in for a job like I was never going like they just yeah. like wanted me to come in and be like oh like he's so funny he's like, from that show yeah oh. um, but so but I would get my hopes up like every time and like be all like practicing and yeah. like all like cause that, I mean, you know me I'm like a happy like oh like so <laughs> But it was, like, interesting getting told no so much. Because, I mean, it was, like, it was just a good experience. Like, there was, I I got really, like, used to and comfortable with rejection and, like, being told no and, like, being like, I don't get it. And just so many people, like, shitting on your ideas and then just, like, and so, yeah, Yeah. just interesting. And, And really interesting thing that I've talked about before, but it's, I just think it's so interesting is after having booked Getting Curious personally for like a year like I booked like you were doing all the bookings yeah Yeah. and like I would cold email like 10 Russian historians like yeah random like you know evolutionary biologists like I would just go online and like email like every single person from like UCLA like you like uh Caltech like you see everything you like just everywhere um and so I said to the the person that owned the network that my podcast was on and I was like can we like is there like Someone could like help me. Help me. <laughs> and like I just I feel like this could be really good, but like I've had like six friends on in the last two months because like I just am like can't. running a salon and like I just need support. And he was like, sure, sure, sure. And then the next day he called me into his office when I was there to record an episode and fired me in front of every producer there. Oh, okay. And, and in front of people? Ew. Yeah, in front of people. But this is the best part. 
Yeah, man. I booked Queer Eye. Right. Like the next day, it was canceled and then it was revived. Yes. Yeah, so like right I, away. so it got canceled and I never said anything about it like publicly. Like they said something about it on their Facebook publicly. I was just like, I never said shit on my Instagram. I didn't say anything to anyone. I was just like, I am Julia Roberts. This is Again. big mistake. Yeah. Like I'm Huge. just not gonna mention it. And so I um, just kind of put on the back burner. And then that week that it got canceled, I was auditioning for Queer Eye. Like that whole week, like we were doing the chemistry audition. Like that whole week, so. I ended up booking it, like, the next day and was just, like, I'm going to... And so when I ended up getting Queer Eye, like, doing Getting Curious and Gay of Thrones was, like, you know, because Queer Eye was a huge opportunity and there's obviously contracting stuff. And Mm. I was, like, determined, like, I was, like, I'll do this. Like, I would pay you to let me do Queer Eye, but I have to be able... Like, I really want to be able to still do, you know, these other two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were able to do that. And I'm just so happy that that was able to happen. And, And even when we finished... Queer Eye, season one and two, like, we wrapped in September and we weren't announced until December and it didn't come out till February. Right. So as soon as we got home, I was just like, I didn't have a network to put Getting Curious on. I reached out to some of um, my, the team from Getting Curious that are friends of mine and they helped me produce it, like, independently and then, which is Colin and Mary, who I still work with and they're still on my team and uh-huh. they Colin works for, uh, with the place where I'm currently, which is Stitcher and Earwolf, which I love. Mm-hmm. And they're so supportive and nice. Um, so yeah, I just like love Colin. And that was like such that, but that's where I was, was really, I was like working to figure out what like kind of my post gay of Thrones. Right. Uh, thing was, cause that was my, that was like my, that was like the thing that I knew I was going to have. And I was like, I gotta like figure out something before it's kind of over. You need a one, two punch. Yeah. Which was so interesting this year. Like, Every time I came into LA to do Gay of Thrones, like I was just so grateful and almost just like in <laughs> tears, like the whole time, because I just couldn't. There just was so much fear and so much anxiety around like what my future was going to be and right. if I would have a future in in this sort of way. And it just like I just really have blown myself away so much. Like I can't even believe it. Yeah, what's well, that thing of like? I feel like on this podcast we focused a lot on the um, on the big break. But it's almost like you're, you were focused on the bigger break. That after Game of Thrones, you didn't, like you said, first of all, Game of Thrones is going to be over. So at some point, you've got to have something else. But, like, I can't believe the timing of the Queer Eye casting and the firing. Yeah. <laughs> Big mistake. Wild, huge. Huge. But then you were, you were just able to, like, continue that. And it's so cool that you really wanted to keep that going for yourself, right? Like, yeah. for your own. Getting curious for you. I believe in getting curious. And I believe in yeah. myself. And I, like really just like love I love getting curious I it's it is I think of all of the things that I do it's where I shine the most yeah I can't believe you did all the bookings I did I did and then when you asked for help is when you got fired yeah yeah that's that's brutal yeah it was it was an interesting (laughs) it was interesting but really like I couldn't and the person who did that and I are like fine now I mean Mm -hmm. you don't see me shouting them out on my Instagram on purpose yeah um but I you know it was a really good lesson. The, everything that I've been through has been for something. It like has taken a while for me to figure it out in some ways, but I think, you know, so much of like rejection or loss, I think has there's something to be learned. Yeah. I love that you said that all of the no's were super, super informative for you. So informative. Yeah. You needed to go and get laughed at in auditions or get and hurtful, but important. Yeah, but that's, it's going to build a thick skin. Because you know what build... Karamo says, and it's so true. It's, this is like my favorite Karamo advice of all time. Uh-huh. Like, like, and it's true. Like, we all, like, I think this is just so 
important and true. It's like we have to be less scared of no. Like we are all so mm-hmm. scared of no. Yeah. And I'm so guilty of this, but like it's sure being less scared of no is so good yeah. for us to do. Yeah. It's all about um, fear for me, I think. It's becoming for me. Like, yeah, I think it is for everyone. Yeah, it, it all boils down to fear, I think. And like how big you want to dream comes down to um, self-worth for one thing, like believing in yourself to be able to dream that big at age eight to be able to have the... What a wellness center. Wellness center. <laughs> That's going to happen. Um, I should wrap soonish, but yeah, Queer Eye, it's, it's bigger than you could have imagined, even after the filming, even after the casting, all of that. What is next in the context of everything? All of these things are going to continue, right? Hopefully. I mean, fingers crossed, always. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't totally know what's next. I'm really into comedy. I yeah. have been loving doing stand-up and learning how to do stand-up. And talk um, about rejection and nose. Like, stand-up is brutal. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> luckily for me at this point in my experience, um, I've had a heart. Like, I, I, when I go up in smaller places, it... Like, and when I, like, don't tell people that I'm going up, because, like, I'll do that every once in a while, just to make sure that I'm not, like, a fake comedian, and that those (laughs) times, like, are, um, like, scarier, and give me, like, give me, um, I have experienced, like, more no's in in those scenarios, Uh for sure. Um, but I also have worked really hard to get better at comedy, and and to to perfect my my craft and my approach and my voice. So I think that is something that I want to continue to do more of. I, my book's coming out in September. Yes, congrats. Um, thank you. And that has been something that has taken, like, a really large chunk of time. Yeah. And I would love to write more. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know about a memoir necessarily. I feel like I, like, put my soul into, like, a food processor for, <laughs> like, you know, a couple hours a day for the last, like, year and, and change. Uh, totally. And the fact that you're saying the Queer Eye thing was uh, late 2016, that wasn't that long ago. No, my <laughs> life has changed so much. It's really, it's really... Yeah. But you know what? It's like, I learned at this salon that I used to work at, and I'll say this, and then we can wrap, if you're comfortable. Yes. But it's like, it's like, when we're, like, when I started charging, like, $150 for a haircut... When I was, like, 28. Okay. And I was, like, okay. Like, I'm not an assistant, and, like, this is, like, what you do. And I remember really struggling with, like, the imposter syndrome of it all and being, like, am I really worth $150 for a haircut? Like... Exactly. And it's, like, I don't know when I very first started charging $150 for a haircut if if I was truly worth it. But I know that I ended up charging more for that, and I know that I was worth it then, and it wasn't because of my time. It's because I was, like, really good at cutting hair. Mm -hmm. But you do have to start at some point, and I think that, like... Being able to believe that you deserve what you're getting mm. is something that I don't think people practice a lot. Totally. And I don't ever want to seem ungrateful because I am so grateful. But, like, when I am going to go out and do, like, a sold-out show at, like, a huge place. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm going to go, like, just this week, I had, like, a, like, horrifically sad thing happen. Yeah. And... Like, when I'm going on set, like, directly after that, more with this horrific thing than normal, I was kind of like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe this is my life. This is, like, really hard. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I had to, like, an hour and a half later, like, that morning, because I, like, didn't want to hold up, like, so many other people that they'd, like, worked so hard to get so many things ready. And I was just, like, wanted to be professional and, like, show up and, and, and do that. But I never am, like permanently like spooked by the things that I get to do. 
Like I'll have like brief little moments of like, oh my God, this is so incredible. I can't like, oh, this is so exciting. Oh gosh. But it's like, I'm never like bewildered. Like, like I always try to carry myself like I belong there. Gotcha. And I think that that is important because people can like sense when you don't believe. Right. And it's in your body language and your, yeah, yeah, everything. So it's like, and it's like, even like if you're feeling like if it's extremely positive, if it's negative, it's Mm. like, Mm. like carrying yourself like you're meant to be there is like, I mean, unless you're like in a really unhealthy, bad place, bitch, and then you should like put your shoes on and get the hell out. But if you're of yourself, yes. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hope. No, of course. It's that I've been thinking about it a lot. It's the thing about like. It's um, asking for $150 for the haircut is a good metaphor because it really is like the imposter syndrome of, but am I But am I worth that? And like, how dare you disrespect yourself in, in thinking that? But I got better at like realizing I was, and, and then my haircuts got better. But you have to like start somewhere. Mm. Yeah, well, there's that thing too of like, hey, I'm worth it. Like, it's is it fake it till you make it? Well, that's, a th- but see, then some people say like, don't say that. But I think mm. it's like all in moderation, right? It's like if you're mm-hmm. like a doctor and there's like a patient who is, you don't know why like what's going like if i'm doing a haircut (laughs) and i keep messing it up and it's getting worse and worse and worse like i should not pretend like it's okay and like ask like someone who like hey monique will you look at this for a second Uh like what's like and see if there's a way where you can like ask for help and not alarm the person yeah ask for help but also like there's times where like like i just i did this like show in montreal a couple weeks ago and like i was supposed to like run out from behind this like screen that opens up Mm -hmm. but it was like taking like minutes and minutes and like I thought it would oh. be like 30 seconds but it was like so this crowd's like cheering and stuff and oh. I'm like oh god like this is like a live show like it's like should I I'm just gonna run around this screen yeah. and just like pretend like it was supposed to be like that okay. so like and sometimes it's Make like it I had no one to ask like there was no one next to me to ask like the lights are on the camera's rolling <laughs> like you just have to make a decision and pretend like that was the decision you're supposed yes. to make okay yeah 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 you got to make it work. Yeah. I love these. This is all really good advice. Thank you. Thank I love you that hair you. is like a metaphor for, for lots of I for agree. life well, lessons. Well, that was the most of all my 20s I spent in a salon. So, yeah. Yeah. like, I, I think a lot about, like, if, I, if this was behind the chair, like, what would this yeah. be like? Yeah. It's, it goes to show you never know, like, what area of life you're going to accrue skills mm. that are applicable to, like, Honey, my dad talks about acquiring skills all the time. Uh-huh. It's his favorite <laughs> subject. <laughs> Um, Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us. Thank you. In the Envelope, an awards podcast, is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Gross Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks, as always, to podcast producer extraordinaire Jamie Muffet and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, Francis Ramos, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope. And don't even give me, like, no Taco Bell. What the f***? Have we no not been taco- through enough? I didn't know that at all. I know. No Taco Bell, no McDonald's, oh. no KFC, no... What am I going to do? Um, There was a whole... No... But you know what is not on that list was Domino's. And the thing about <laughs> Domino's is that people don't realize... 
Very liberal, very liberal. No, not only are they liberal, <laughs> but they are liberal with their icing on their cinnamon sugar sticks, honey. They have yes. these cinnamon sugar sticks that are next level. And their cookie, like their cookie, like their cookie pizza. I've never had it. They also have this like cookie brownie hybrid pizza. It's like a yeah. marbled situation. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I know. Oh, so now, you don't have to feel bad about that. Now we got to go to Domino's and get them to sponsor this episode. <laughs> 